If you got your Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be bouncing around quite a bit today. So I'll be referencing more scriptures than I'll be reading simply because I've got to finish this series. And man, Solomon, he's a crazy dude. All right. So for those of you who uh, I haven't seen in a while, thanks for showing up again. I'm back from my trip to Wisconsin. It was a great trip. Um, There was a day where it was seven degrees and I was sitting outside going, man, maybe I should question my life choices. (laughs) But I had a wonderful time away, spending time with my family, with some friends, um, in a cabin that's far too small and uh, in a place that I find just absolutely stunningly beautiful. So anyway, it was good to be away, but I'm always glad to be back. Uh, As I was flying in last night, it's happened the last few times I've come in, but I just thought, boy, it's good to be home. And it took like two or three years till this felt like home, but now it feels like home, and it was good to be home. So again, thanks for welcoming me back. Today we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter 8, and... um, I'm going to read a couple of passages, but I just want to catch you up in case you missed the first part of the series. Basically, this series is called The Long Game, and it starts with David, and he has this vision that God gives him to build a temple. And so David wants to build the temple, but because he was a man of war, he feels like he feels that God tells him he can't do it. It has to be his son. And that's hard. But instead of being angry with God, or instead of being disappointed, what he does is he begins to plan for the future. And I think sometimes when we're disappointed by something, we just get angry instead of going, how can I best make it happen for the next generation? I say all the time, our church does not exist right now, today, so that I can be happy. Our church exists so that I can impact the next generation so that I can change the world the only way it can ever really be changed, which is one person at a time. And that happens when I know that God has called us to something and we're dedicated and committed to it. And we move forward. 20 years ago, somebody had the foresight to say, this congregation needs a building, and they purchased this place. And because of your faithfulness over the last two years, we've made almost double payments now for two years. We're three years away from having this building paid off. We own another piece of property in another place. Those aren't just so that we can be rich and sit on a pile of cash. Those are so that we can plan for what God has for us for the future. That's my long game right there. What are we going to do to enhance what we want to do for our kids? What are we going to do to enhance how we want to impact our community? And that's what the long game's really all about. It's not, what am I going to do that's going to bring me happiness and satisfaction right now? But what am I going to do so that the next generation can know who Jesus is? And when I change my mindset from what do I want right now, what brings me joy, what brings me happiness, to how can I fulfill what God has given me, deep within my soul, us as a congregation, how can I fulfill that vision, that call, and that commitment, then it changes from what I want today to what I want tomorrow. It's the same thing with putting away money for retirement. I could take that extra little bit I put away each month and just buy shiny stuff, Or I take it, I put it away, and I let somebody else try to make me more money. Lately, that's been hard. But they're trying. I believe they're trying. 
I'm planning for the future because God's got something for my future. I plan for the future for our church because God's got a beautiful future for us. First Chronicles chapter 8, I'm sorry, 2 Chronicles chapter 8, verse 1, it says, It came to pass at the end of 20 years, that's right, 20 years he's been working on this project, when Solomon had built the house of the Lord in his own house, I want to jump to verse 12. Then Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the Lord, which he had built before the vestibule. There's a bunch in there that I'm going to touch on. He built the house of the Lord, and it takes him 20 years. And what does he do? He thanks God for the opportunity to build it. He spends 20 years using the materials that they had gathered for the previous 20 years of his dad's life. That's somebody who's planning ahead. That's somebody who sees something bigger than where they are today. That's somebody who builds something that 2,000 plus years later, they're still a remnant of. Because they put in that time and that forethought. But here's the downside of the long game. That's what I want to talk about a little bit today. Downside of the long game. Not everybody gets to see the finished product. David never gets to see the temple. Moses never gets to go into the promised land. The disciples... Those that were faithful never get to see Jesus return. All except for John that we know of end up being executed in one way or another. John's the only one that dies of old age. And yet they were all playing the long game. They were going out and they were taking the gospel to every person they could meet and everywhere they went. And they didn't get to see what they wanted to see but it didn't make it any less real. And sometimes I think in our lives, when I don't see the results, we live in such an instantaneous society that even a microwave isn't fast enough for us. Even a crock pot no longer works, so now we have to have a hot pot, or whatever it's called, so that I, my Instapot, so that I can have my stuff, not in four hours, I want my soup in one hour. And I want it to taste like it's brewed for 12 and that's the world we live in. And so we're not used to waiting. So the downside of the long game, not everybody gets to see the results of everything you put in. Not everybody gets to see the hard work and the effort. And we want our stuff to be seen. Number two, discouragement. Paul talks about this throughout the scriptures as he waits and he hopes. And he talks over and over again about waiting and hoping. Paul believed that he would see Jesus return. But he never wavers in his faith when he doesn't. And when he stands, and multiple times, he's persecuted, and eventually he's executed. And he never wavers in his faith from the thing that he first believed, which is that he, the least of all saints and the greatest of all sinners, was still deserving of God's grace. You, the greatest of all sinners, still deserves God's grace. But you may not get to see everything that you wanted to see. Everything may not happen, and that can be discouraging. We can give up. Third downside to the long game is this. Our situations change. Life moves forward. What we value changes over time. What I valued when I was 16 is very different than what I value now. My favorite possession I had when I was 16 was my guitar. 
I no longer even play. Guitar isn't bad. I encourage my son to play. It's that my values and the way I spend my time in my life change. A lot of it changed when I got married. A lot of it changed when I had kids. There were things that were so important to me before that are just side notes. Yesterday I was going through my dad's library with my daughter. She was looking for some books that she could tear pages out of to do a project. And I was like, well, let me go down there with you and help you find some old books if we're going to just tear them apart. And um, she found the entire, like a leather-bound collection from... uh, the 1940s or 50s of uh, Ernest Hemingway. And I said, no, you cannot tear those apart. She's like, no, I want this collection. So I was like, all right, just tell my dad. He'll give it to you right now. And um, we're finding other things. And then she came across some boxes. She goes, what's in these boxes? And she begins to open them, and it's baseball cards. And if you don't know, I have, I have about 170,000 cards in my collection. We're not sure why. My wife says, why? Why do you still have them? My parents... Jeff, did you forget that you have these cards? How could I ever forget? But they were so important to me. These little pieces of cardboard were so important to me at one time. Now they're just in a stack of boxes in a dusty library with other books stacked on top of them. My situation and my life changed and my values changed. But that's not a bad thing it's just one of the results of the long game. As you're going to see your situation and your things change, and the values, what you place value on, changes. And that's good and normal and natural. But when that happens, sometimes it feels like, but God, you promised this. And he's like, no, I promised this. And you pictured it this way in your mind. You pictured this, but I told you this. I told you I'd be with you and your family, and you thought that meant that there'd never be any harm to you. I told you that I would see you through difficult situations. You took that as there'll never be a difficult situation. I told you if you pray for your marriage, your heart towards your partner will change, not that your partner will change. And there's a big difference. Too many of us go into relationships believing, I'm going to pray for them so that they'll change, when in reality, it's us and the way we view things is what needs to change. And so the long game says, it may not look like what I want, but that doesn't mean that God isn't faithful. Uh, Henry Ford created an automobile. He wasn't the first to do it. Some people think he is. He's the first to create the moving assembly line. Henry Ford did not create the first car. So if you're playing Trivial Pursuit, don't get sucked into that one. But if I could show you a picture of a Model K, which was an early Henry Ford car, and most of you know like a Model T or a Model A. There's only three Model Ks that are restored that are known to exist. And um, they're probably, one of them Jay Leno owns, and uh, the other two, one of them the Henry Ford Museum has, and the other, the third, is in a museum in Europe. Those are the, there's others that are in various stages, but those are the three that are fully restored. And if you looked at a Model K... It looks nothing like a Tesla. (laughs) Nothing at all. And yet they're both automobiles. And if you asked Henry Ford to describe an automobile, the very first one he would describe was actually the pre-Model K, 
because he actually called it the pre-K, which now if you say pre-K, you think you're talking about school children. But he called it the pre-K is what he called it. And it looks more like a modified motorcycle that two people would sit on that there was nothing to even enclose you in. He sat in open air, similar to a buggy. And then you look at a Tesla, and there's a button you can push that's called insane. <laughs> there was no insane button in the Model K. Both automobiles, but worlds apart in what they were. And the problem is, too oftentimes, we're picturing the Tesla and God's saying, there's so much, something so much greater that's yet to come. But we think, it can't get greater than this, but how many years did they say it couldn't get greater than this? It can't get greater. Look, they now have windshields on cars. Ooh, that's exciting. And as soon as you add that, you need a windshield wiper. Now I need windshield wipers on my headlights or I'm disappointed. Because things change. But just because they change doesn't make it any less what it was. And just because you can't picture or possibly imagine how God can redeem a situation doesn't mean he can't. Your limited imagination, your limited ability to see things or foresee things does not control what God can do in your life and through you. And too oftentimes we want to say it can't happen because of this and this and this. And we don't see the path, but he does. And it doesn't necessarily happen the way we want or how we want. And we don't have the title we want or the money we want or the position we want. And he's looking and saying, use, let me use you the way you are, where you are, and let me change you from the inside out to become who I'm trying to create you to be. Solomon has a few mistakes along the way. So lest you think he's perfect just because of his wisdom. He was called to be a man of peace, and yet he becomes a man who continues to conquer, conquering neighboring people for his own name. And, for the, and he keeps saying, it's for the expansion of the kingdom. But the kingdom continues to go back to whose kingdom was it? Well, this was Solomon's kingdom. And so he does it in the name of the kingdom, but he continues to conquer things. He was instructed to be a man of peace, so he never goes to war but he has no problem sending other people to war. He subjects the people around him to slavery. Uh, Verses 7, 8, and 9 of chapter 8 says this. All the people who were left of the Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, who were not of Israel, that is, their descendants, who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel did not destroy, from these Solomon raised forced labor as it was to this day. But Solomon did not make the children of Israel servants for his work. Some were men of war, captains of the officers, captains of the chariots and his cavalry, and it lists the jobs they took. The people who don't do the work have very little invested in the process. The people who simply let somebody else do it and then come along, it's really easy to just walk away from it when it doesn't go your way. It's really easy when you believe that it should be done for you to never believe or understand that God is trying to do things in me and it takes me doing something for those things to come to fruition. And it's not about how much I do, but it's about am I becoming more like Jesus? But he's got to have me do things 
to become more like him. I can't just sit and say, I want to be more like Jesus and then do nothing. I have to know who Jesus is. If I'm going to become like him, I have to know who he is. When we invest in something, it becomes much more valuable to us. When it costs us our own money, it matters a whole lot more. If you don't believe me, just get a kid to buy their own bike or their own car and watch how, they, how much more they care for it than if you just go, here you go. Second one of Solomon's big heirs is he married women who caused him to seek favor from other gods and other kingdoms. First Kings chapter 11 is what that whole chapter is about. He creates alliances that are more important to him than what God has called him to do. He had hundreds of wives and thousands of prostitutes. And he was never called to do that. He was called to take the kingdom forward, not just to make himself more like every other king around him. Sometimes God is telling us, put aside something, even if you're entitled to it, for the sake of the kingdom. Put aside what you believe is rightfully yours so that I can do something in you and take you farther forward. I've known people who um, have to have a title in ministry for whatever reason. When I first came, people said, well, do we call you pastor? Do we call you reverend? I said, just call me Jeff. I've told people over and over, don't ever call me pastor unless I actually am your pastor because I won't take a title. I won't be that because I earned a degree. I'll be that because I spoke into your life in a real way. And when people come in and have to have a title, it's a dangerous thing. Because then they're not going to do anything unless they're addressed by their title. You ever met somebody who you meet them and the very first time they let you know what their title is? Their doctor, whatever. Oh, sorry. Their title is how they define themselves instead of who they are. What they've done is what defines them. And God's looking and saying, you're my child, and that should be enough. And again, if you're a doctor, believe me, I will call you doctor. You've earned that. You didn't go to do your PhD or go to medical school not to earn that title. So I'm not saying I won't call you doctor. I will. Just tell me, no, I'm doctor, whatever. But if you feel the need to introduce yourself to everyone when you're at the baseball game as doctor, whatever, reevaluate that. Reevaluate that because there's got to be a reason. And some of you that have known those type of people, you go, oh, yeah, I see that in their own life, they're so insecure in who they are that they can't just be who God created them to be. So Solomon has to be known like every other king instead of being what God created him to be which was just the leader of his people. He begins to amass wealth, but he uses that wealth to control people. Chapter 9, verses uh, 13 through 28, I just want to highlight one thing. It says, um, The weight of the gold that came to Solomon yearly was 666 talents of gold. Just so you know, in uh, the conversion rate, that's in the tons. Tons of gold are coming his way every year. He loses 
what his original vision was, which was gathering things for the sake of the temple. Now the temple's done, and he's still sending people out to every corner of the earth to gather things. He even talks about how he gathers monkeys and ivory. So he's sending people down into Africa. He lost who he was. In our quest to do what God has called us to do, don't lose who you are because you become well-known for something. Don't let the belief that you're so important to the kingdom of God become a barrier to him using you to humbly wash someone's feet. I'm not saying don't amass wealth. Please do, and please remember us in your will. There, how's that? There's my plug. But what I'm going to say is this. It's not about what I amass in this life. It's about what I impact my family. Do I have an impact on them? Is it a life-giving and lasting legacy? Do my children and the friends of my children know who I, you know, who I serve and what I believe? Because it's, it's one thing to say, well, I want my kids to know God. It's a different thing to live it out every day in front of them. Because that's when it starts to get hard. That's when it starts to get difficult. Through tough situations, am I faithful to do that? As he amasses wealth, he loses what he really valued at first. And he sends people to get more and more and more. So what we learn from from studying the rest of Solomon, so we see at the first part, he does all these great things. But if you read through um, 1 Kings there, you'll see the rest of his life just gets messier and messier and messier. So here's what we can learn from watching Solomon. The long game is difficult. Trusting God over the years is tough. I've told you before, the fastest growing group in Christianity today is a group that calls themselves the Exvangelicals. They're former people who used to go to church, but the church is a big failure, so I'm not going to do it anymore. And they stand outside, and they cast stones, and they talk about how bad we are. And the funny thing is, if they wanted to sit down at lunch with me, I'd go, oh, I can tell you some problems with the church. I've been in it my whole life, and I can tell you things. But you know what? You don't change a single thing by standing outside and talking about how bad it is and how people shouldn't do this and people did this to me. And people, I had somebody just last week tell me they're not coming here anymore because this and this and this. And what's ironic is it was the same week I talked about how the church is not here to make you happy. And they literally said, I just don't feel happy there. And I don't think I should waste my time going somewhere that doesn't make me happy. I'm like, listen to my message. But they're not going to come here anymore because it doesn't make them happy. It doesn't make them feel good. It's not my job to make you feel good. It's my job to challenge you, inspire you, motivate you, make you think, make you change, challenge you to become who God created you to be. And what I'm saying is, if we're going to live in this long game, if we're going to be in this place that doesn't have the instant gratification, but says, I'm going to be faithful to this for the sake of my children and my children's children, to however many generations I'm alive, if I'm going to be faithful to that, then it may not always go my way, and I may not like everything. And I'm not talking about staying somewhere where they're preaching heresy. If you think I'm preaching heresy, talk to me, and we can talk it through. But if it's simply, I don't like it because you didn't make me happy, then grow up. 
And let's start being the people God created us to be, which says, I'm going to be imperfect in an imperfect community, and I'm still going to chase passionately after who God wants me to be and what he wants me to do. And I'm going to believe, even when I don't see it, that there's more to this than today. And too often times, at least with me, I get discouraged, and I go through these seasons, and I love fall, because to me, fall is the perfect season. Some people love summer. It's warm. I get hot. Some people love spring. It's new life. I love fall. It's all death. (laughs) And as I go through fall, Tracy will even say, are you doing okay? And I'll say, yes, I'm just thinking about everything that's changed, because as we go back to school, I think in terms of school years always, too, probably because my mom did. And I was raised by my mom, and she was a school teacher. So everything, she never, January 1st was totally irrelevant other than she got a day off school. But what she thought always was school year. And that's how our whole social calendar and life calendar and everything revolved around the school year. And I get to fall, and I start looking and saying, who's left us in the last year? Who's moved on? And was that a good thing or a bad thing for us as a church? Is that a good thing or a bad thing for my life? And I start, sometimes I, I look back at relationships that are gone and it makes me sad and sometimes I look and go, that's eh, probably better. But as I reevaluate that, it forces me to focus on what does God want for me this year? What is God wanting to do in me to change me, to make me more like who he created me to be this year. And that's, my friend, how I look at the long game. When we get to January, I'll do a series on becoming a new creation or let's make things new because a lot of people are thinking that. But as I spent the last week sitting in the woods, jotting things down on my phone, I just kept thinking, God, what do you need me to do What do you need me to get rid of? What do you need me to leave behind so I can move forward? Once God's promise is fulfilled, it's not necessarily the end. I don't think it was the 20 years that was bad on Solomon. I think it was after the temple was completed where Solomon's life fell apart. When he had that thing out in front of him that he's working on and working towards, he continues to just push full forward into what God wants. But once it was done, he got bored. Go find me a monkey. (laughs) Go find me something pretty. Go find me something shiny and bring it back to me. We do the same thing. Our kids grow up. We love them. We we worry about them and we do all these things to help them get ready for life. They go out the door and we quit church. The second biggest group that walks away from the church, the second largest group, you think it's only those young adults, the second biggest group are the empty nesters. Nearly 50% of people who were raised in church, that stayed in church, will leave when their last kid leaves. Why? Because I did my job, I got them through. And all they thought was, oh, i got to get this, got to get this, and now, okay, that mission's accomplished. Well, now what am I going to do? Instead of giving more time, now that they should have more free time, saying, how can I jump in? How can I be involved? How can I change the next generation of lives? They go, 
Whew, glad I'm done. Now I can spend my weekends doing whatever it is I always wanted to do but couldn't do because I had to bring my kids to church. Again, if you know me at all, I'm big on take vacations. Refresh, relax, renew your body and your mind. But don't forget that God is still desperately desiring a relationship with you and we need you because we need to move forward. Now the only good news of that is the second largest group to come back to the church, the first largest group that comes back to the church are people when they first have kids. They left the church when they were young adults, then they had kids, now they're going, oh crap, what do we do? I have no idea. How do I teach my kids morality and the Bible and the things that mattered to me growing up? We better go and get them back in here. The second largest group that comes back are the post-retire, about three years after people retire. It's the second largest group that comes back to the church. Because they're like, oh man, I better start cramming for the final exam because any day now, (laughs) any day now I'm going to have to be doing this. Too often we're looking for the finish line, but the race is still going. We, in our minds, have an arbitrary finish line. When our kids are gone, when this happens, when this happens. And once that's done, we don't realize we got to keep moving. My wife and my daughter ran what's called the governor's race in, when we lived in Iowa. The beauty of the governor's race is it's about a 6K. But the problem is every year they change the course, they change the length, and no one actually measures it. <laughs> That's the humor in why they call it the governor's race. And so you start, and you think you're going, and they have arrows kind of lining the course, and then all of a sudden you're just going, And you're just following where other people are going. That's your only hope. And you just keep going. And are we almost to the end? Are we almost to the end? And Tracy said the last four miles of that race, about every 150 yards, Addie just kept saying, I'm stopping. And she'd say, what are you going to do? We're in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) What are you going to do? 150, I'm quitting right now. You can't quit. (laughs) I'm not going to finish and then get the car and come and find you on a race course. We do the same thing. We get through the thing. We're out there and we feel lost. We're not even done and we're just giving up. Because the course wasn't what we thought and it didn't look like what I wanted. And I'm here to tell you today, it may not look like what you expected and it may not have been what you thought, but it doesn't mean that God isn't leading you on this course. So here's my conclusions from this series. Here's the three questions I ask myself. When I'm in the long game in my relationship with God, what challenges will I face and how will I respond to them? Each of us can only answer that question for ourselves because you're going to have different challenges than me. My mom has to have knee replacement surgery tomorrow. That's really, you know, it's, it's a surgery, but I'm not real worried. But two years ago, she had lung cancer. That one was a little more worrisome. You know, they had to remove a third of her lung. It's a lot, I think. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But it seemed like a lot when they were telling me they were taking out a third of her lung. And now they're doing, they're replacing one knee, and then in six to eight weeks, they'll replace the other one. So I told her this summer I expect her to be running. (laughs) But what challenges will you face? Because yours are going to be different than mine. Second question, can I continue to trust God when I don't see immediate results? Because... We want instantaneous change. We want instantaneous everything. My marriage is having problems. I'm going to show up for church for four weeks, get it fixed, and then 
I may or may not keep coming. My kids are in trouble. Fix them, Jeff. People used to ask me when I was a youth pastor, well, how do I get my kid to do this? And I said, start in preschool telling them that church matters and that Jesus loves them. That's how you get a teenager to believe that church matters and that Jesus loves them. But now that they're at 16 and they got busted for smoking pot, send them to talk to me, and I'm going to try to fix the last 16 years of what you should have been doing all along. I didn't say that out loud. I thought it all in my head. I didn't say it. I just thought it. I wanted to keep my job. But how do we do it? We move slowly forward, and wherever we're at, that's where we start. But am I going to continue to trust God to fulfill promises when I don't see the immediate result? Because I don't get to control people as much as I want, as much as I would like to. And how will my view of God change if things happen differently than the way I believe they should? See, I believe that I should come in and give a little witty message, and then just like Peter, thousands of people get saved, and then I go off and I travel the world telling people. That's not the way that this happened. And I have to be faithful and dedicated to each week hear from God and try to deliver something that offers hope. But what if it doesn't happen the way I want? Do I keep going? Can I handle the emotional letdown? Or will my faith be destroyed? Only you can answer that. Because there's going to be emotional letdown in your life. But my encouragement to you is this. Just because it didn't look the way you wanted it to doesn't mean that Jesus wasn't right there in it. Just because your kids' lives don't look the way they, you thought they should doesn't mean that Jesus isn't there. Just because your job, you worked hard, and you never got the promotion somebody else did, and you were faithful and you were dedicated because you felt like God put you there doesn't mean that God didn't put you there. And I could go over that with situation after situation after situation. Your marriage failed, and now you're like, well, God, I thought I was supposed to marry that person. God may still be there, right in the middle of that, saying, yep, you were supposed to. And he desires desperately for every person to know him. And he's there to see us through and to walk with us. But are we going to believe that? Father God, I thank you for this day and I thank you for all you're doing in us and through us. And I thank you that you have a plan and purpose for us. And God, I pray that as we live out this long game, we would be people who are challenged and changed and motivated and inspired that no matter our circumstance, to still choose to follow you. In your name, amen. We're going to receive our offering in just a moment. As you know, usually I don't do the announcement portion of our morning and So someone else does that, and since I was doing it, I guess I was supposed to receive an offering too. People, in all fairness, they were waving plates at me. I was just like, yeah, I see you back there. Um, Our offering each week is, the whole purpose of it is twofold. One, God tells us we should give with a joyful heart. If you can't give with a joyful heart, don't. Seriously, don't. Number two is, because I want to see the kingdom of God expanded in our city. And so, as much as possible, and our books are open, by the way, if you ever want to see how we spend our money, but we give 17% of our money away off the top. 
that's just off the top. That's not extra benevolence we do. That's um, things like church planting, missions, local as well as global. And so that's what our finances go towards. So if this is your church, I would encourage you to make a regular habit of giving. If it's not, that's all right. You do what you want. I can live with it either way. But uh, as my desire is to see us impact our community, that's why we do this part of the service. God, I pray that you would just use the gifts we offer you today. God, challenge us in our faith to give to what you're telling us to, not out of the place of comfort, but out of the place where it is a sacrifice because you tell us that we're supposed to, it's supposed to be a sacrifice. And God, if there's anybody in here that is just financially just hurting, God, I pray that you would not only give them what they need, but Father God, that you would bless them so they can be a blessing to others. Provide them beyond what they need, Lord. Not just provision for today, but Father God, provision for their future. In your name, amen. Go ahead and receive our morning offering. And then uh, finally, next week is the first week of Advent.